0: Uh, my name's Austin. I'm the lead pastor here as of a few weeks ago, so that's still fun. And um, I have we've been in this series that we're calling Established. And what we've been looking at these first couple weeks, really, uh, the first couple weeks of the year is where we've looked at uh, things that God has established on his end towards us. And established, that word is a word that I felt like the Lord gave us as direction, uh, gave us as uh, something to center in around for us personally and as a church for the year. And so what we looked at, uh, the first things first, everyone already knew it. Everyone was already thinking it. I just wanted to be the first one to say it. That very first week we said that Jesus has established himself as the head of the church, right? Like we, we already knew that. I just wanted to come up here. And the first thing I wanted to say was like, hey, this is what it is still, just so we're all still clear that, that if he is kind of the, the wind blowing, like we're just going to try and hoist ourselves best we can to see where he wants us to go, Right? Amen. Uh, then last week, what we talked about is that God has established on his end towards us as the, as the judge, the sovereign judge of the universe with all the power and being, holding all knowledge within him, right? That he has chosen by his love and his grace to extend forgiveness, mercy, and innocence towards us and to adopt us into his family now as his chosen sons and daughters. That's just like awesome truth that I think we need to be reminded of from time to time. Uh, But today what I want to do is as the last couple weeks, we've looked at things that God has established towards us. I want to look at, okay, as now chosen sons and daughters of his, what are things that we take on our end and we establish towards him? So what do we establish towards him? And so uh, the verse we're going to use to look at this today is Colossians 2. And so uh, I felt like that God dropped this verse, God dropped this verse to my heart like November-ish last year. Um, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Be rooted and being built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. So there's some realities in this verse that, man, once we're called into this life as Christians, that we are, we are rooting and we're establishing not just a moment, right? Like last week was a moment where we extended an invitation where you could receive this good news of grace that's being extended to you. And in a moment, you could, you could be saved, you could be justified, you could be adopted into his family. In, in an instant, that happens. But now we get invited into this life now where we're rooting and establish all of who we are on him, And this is this word called sanctification. And whereas uh, salvation, adoption, justification, those happen instantly, now we get to be in this process for the rest of our life that we call sanctification. And if you haven't heard that word before, um, it's okay. You've maybe heard it lots of times. What we're going to be talking about today, I just kind of want to lay my outline down for you all, is I want to explain what sanctification is. I want to give you a definition of it. Then I want to answer the question: Why would I do this? Why would I choose this to this lifelong commitment of, of being refined and made more like Jesus? Like why would why do we do this? And then I want to ultimately point us to how how are we going to best do this? Uh, because I think sanctification ultimately what it is is it's putting ourselves in the right environment. It's the right putting ourselves in the right context so that the grace of God can m- empower and move through us in the most unhindered way right? And so if you think about sanctification as like a, uh, if you think about it in the terms of like gardening or something like that, where if I took a seed and if I placed it on this stage, uh, that seed has all the capacity that it needs to grow into a plant, right? But it's not in the right environment. It's not in the right context for growth sitting here on the stage. Even if I pour water on it, even if we open up one of these windows, the sun can shine down and hit it. Like we could talk about the parable of the soils where no, it needs to be in the right soil, needs to be surrounded in the right environment so that it would grow right and so um, we'll get a little bit more into what sanctification is. But before we get there, um, I just, I want to um, be real, like, like part of this relationship, me being the pastor, you guys being the, the congregants or the members of the church, right? There's this expectation that I would be kind of open and vulnerable with you guys, right? Even though you don't have to be open and vulnerable with me on a Sunday morning, but I have to kind of stand up here and, and tell you my life. And I feel like I've been picking on my kids a lot the last couple weeks. Like somebody said to me this last week, like, man, your kids are just, they're just really going to hate you. Like, they're telling all these stories about them all the time, and they were joking, and I hope that's not going to be true. Um, but I thought, you know what? It's time for me to pick on me a little bit, okay? So uh, there's this picture, and it's going around. It's not really going around, but it could go around someday. And how many of you guys know just the best way to address something is just, to like, front, front door the thing and just, like, show your cards first? So uh, here's this picture of me from middle school, okay? Yeah. Just, like... Just a lot of frame and not a lot of mass. You know what I mean? Like there's just a lot of skin and bones there, but not a lot else. That's me. I think seventh grade cross country. My friend right in front of me, one of my best childhood friends, Patrick Howler, He always beat me in cross country races. I listen. I don't love to run. Okay. I don't think I don't think I was put on this earth to be a runner. Um, if you want me to run, give me a ball. I'll be much more interested in like actually moving then. But. I just, since that time, I never really won much of anything in, in cross country. Um, and I just don't really like to run. Anybody else? No amens for that? I'm shocked. Thank you. Okay, so um, here's why I show, here we can take that picture down. Here's why I show the picture, okay? Um, it's because for the last like 10 to 12 years of my life, um, you know, my, I have been uh, somewhat committed, definitely more in some seasons, less in other seasons to, to going to the gym, right? And you go to the gym and, and been doing that. It's been a pattern in my life. I've gone and, you know, exercised, done different, tried different ways of doing it. I tried yoga like a few times. I don't know what that, that was a weird phase. Okay. But like I go, I go and, and, and the risk in going to the gym is in any like little three month cross section of going to the gym, you, you can really get frustrated by, by not seeing any results. Do you know what I mean? Like if you go, you wouldn't dare just like go to the gym, have one good workout and you just be like, I've arrived. Yes, like I'm healthy. You know what I mean? Uh, but but and, and yet, at the same time, even though that sounds ridiculous about the gym and we would never say it that way, um, we can treat our faith that way sometimes. where where we have these like big moments and we think that Christianity is more about these like mountaintop experiences, maybe a, a service where you gave your life to the Lord. Maybe it was a conference that you went to one time and you have these big moments, but then you're, you're plugged into the rest of life now where your life is supposed to be this like becoming better and better and looking more and more like Christ. And it just like, you can be, you can be like, okay, I'm just not getting the results I wanted out of Christianity. Right. And, and we can be, be frustrated because we live in such a performance-oriented uh, culture right? that wants to see results, that, that wants to take progress pics and, and post things like Transformation Tuesday on Instagram, right? And we want to see how much we've changed. And man, like over my life, I've, I've had seasons in my faith where I just feel like I'm killing it. You know, like I just feel like I'm just running and like the like devil can't even touch me. I'm like, get off me. And I've had seasons where I feel like I'm, I'm barely crawling forward, right? Am I alone in that? And so what I need to be reminded of is God did not invite me into this life of perfection. Even though He's called me perfect, He didn't expect perfect of me. He knew I was going to keep making mistakes. And this is the tension of sanctification. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of awkward, knock-kneed middle school self. and you can look back and you can go, "Man, OK, wait, as I look back at it, as I look back even in my faith, praise God, I, I have grown." I have matured. I can grow a beard now, right? Like that's a cool thing. And even just in my faith, like God has, God has transformed some of my desires. Man, like little by little, it didn't feel like it, but now I can sit back here and I can go, okay, wait, no, God's changed some things in me. He's rewired my heart in some ways. I've actually been transformed in some areas. And as I look in your guys' life, that's what you kind of, you allude to as well. And I see like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, over time, in season, these people, we've, we're growing we're changing, right? And so what, what is sanctification? I think Paul hits on it really well in a couple different areas. I want to look at Romans 6, though, this morning. There's a couple verses here in Romans 6. Really, a lot of Romans 6 hits on this idea of sanctification. But Romans 6, verse 12, "'Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions.'" In other words, as you give your life to Christ, as you find yourself in submission, glad submission to his rule in your life, sin no longer has authority on you in the same way that it used to. Like, like you, you have a say, you actually have the ability, you have the means now to fight sin. You don't have to give yourself over to every desire that you have in the flesh. I actually have the ability, I have the capacity now to, to choose the things of God. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will, not, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. So, so here's what sanctification is. It's this, it's this ability now that the grace of God has, has overtaken my heart that now I'm able to in a way that he is empowering, he is sustaining me, that I have the ability to put to death the things of the flesh. I put to death my earthly desires, the things that don't align with the heart of God. And, and, and simultaneously, because it's not just putting to death the, the desires of my flesh, but it's making alive in my heart the things of Christ. And so, I, and so over time in this process, I just start to become more and more and more like him. This is sanctification. And this is the process now that we've all been called into. Because God, even though, yes, he's present, he's active in our salvation. Amen? Like he's initiating that love for us and we're responding to that call. But now we enter into this process, this partnership where we're working with him to start to look more like him. And it's my experience that uh, this process doesn't go as fast as I would like. Anybody else? Like, it can be frustrating sometimes where I'm like, why am I still struggling with that? I, I got in a group. I got around some friends. Like, I'm going to church on Sundays. Why, why, am I still, why am I still speaking in this way towards my kids? Or why am I still doing this thing? It just, it takes longer than we want it to, right? And, and, and I think the natural question <laughs> Uh, obviously we don't, ask, answer, we don't ask the question like this in church because this is church right now. We're all, we're like, we are sanctified right now in church. Like we are, we're in church, it's good. We're good. We're like, our behavior is good. But this is the question that you might ask yourself like Monday morning, like, why did I sign up for this? Right, because if you're really gonna be sanctified, that's gonna lead to some hard spots and maybe some relationships that you have. Might lead to, it might lead to you being unable to continue in the workplace that you're working in right now. Your behavior is gonna have to look different. And, and listen, the reality is, is that dying to your flesh is not a comfortable process. It takes God convicting you. It takes these like, piercing words to your heart where you go, okay, wait, hold on. I'm not behaving in the way I should. And that change, it's difficult. And sometimes, like, if we can be really honest, like, I just go, you know what? I know I'm going to fail, so why, why even try, Right? We just go, I know I'm going to mess this up. So I, well, I should just choose something that's easier and feels better and is, and is not so difficult. And so why try? But that's, that's why I want to ask, like answer the question. Why, why try? Why try at this? It, it's, a, it's a lifelong commitment. Like that's a big deal. And I hope we don't take it lightly, right? So let me answer the why and then we'll break down into the how. So why, why enter into sanctification? Why enter into this process of putting to death the feelings of my flesh, making alive in my heart, the things of Christ. Uh, The first reason is because it's the faith that God has given to us. James chapter two, he talks about some of you, you're getting in this, caught up in this argument. And some of you are saying, uh, well, you have works. Well, and I have faith. And he's like, you just, you're missing it. Now, now we know, and we covered last week, and I don't have time to go back over the last couple of weeks enough. But you should go back and listen to him. Search GSC Loveland on YouTube or on the podcast or whatever. Watch those messages. But but we're not we're not saved by our works, right? We are not saved by our works. We're not doing these good things and, and winning over God's affection towards us. He chose to do that on His own end. But now the faith that He's given to us, James two does say that our faith is made complete. Our faith is perfected in works. As in the faith that God has graciously extended towards you is now being made evident to yourself, to the world around you, and to God by the way that you start to operate in that faith. One of those ways being sanctification. So what James is saying is the life-giving, the saving faith that God is offering to you will create this desire in your heart to start acting more and more like him. So, so the first reason that we have to pursue sanctification is because this is, what, this is the faith that God has called us into from the very beginning, right? And so the first answer is because the Bible says so. Which in my experience, the Bible says so. Is that a legit answer? That's totally a legit answer, but it's also not always the most helpful. Sometimes we need a little more nuanced answer to, to really get us to see why we would participate in something rather than just like, well, the Bible says so. So the Bible says so. That's a good answer. But, but there's a couple more reasons too. Um, I think one of the other reasons that we need to pursue sanctification wholeheartedly is that uh, God is most glorified through us when we are made most like him. Okay, so um, hypothetical situation here. Let's say today you were like, I'm in, giving my life to the Lord. And you're just like, okay, I'm following Jesus. I'm going to be a representative of him in this world. okay. Let's say you did that today, and you went into work tomorrow and you told everyone. You were like, yo, guess what? Church was so great. It was so awesome. I just gave my life to the Lord. It was sweet. It was great. And then for the rest of the day, you you continue to badmouth your boss to all your coworkers. You gossip and you whine and you complain about your job and you, you complain about not making enough money. And and then all of a sudden, um, like like is God worthy of praise because of your salvation? Yeah. Absolutely, he is. Is he being glorified in the way that you're carrying yourself in his creation? Not so much. God is going to be most glorified in us when we are transformed to look the most like him, which it's just a little plug for next week. That's what I'm talking about next week is just that this stance that we get to have in the kingdom where we don't have to be timid or afraid. And and actually what God has called us into is to be cultivators of righteousness, to be subduing uh, the kingdom of this earth and to be installing the kingdom of heaven. It's this awesome privilege and call that we're all given. So be sure to come here next week. I'm, I'm like most excited about that sermon of this whole series. So just a little shameless plug to invite you to next week. Um, God is most glorified in us when we are made most like him. The the third reason is that it's just flat out better for you and me. Now, this is no prosperity gospel message, okay? Like I'm not here to say that come to Jesus and he'll make you happy, healthy, and wealthy. I think I've kind of covered that already. I'll cover it for sure some more in just a little bit. Um, But what I've noticed is that as God has transformed me and as I've watched as he's transformed some of you, you, you begin to delight in the thing that God takes delight in. And, and your desi- as your desires and your heart are be tr- being transformed to look more like him, your satisfaction is found more in him than it is in the temporary and, and fickle things of this earth. So as I look more like Christ, my significance, my delight, my joy is found mostly in him. And so it's better for me because I'm not counting on these uh, temporary things like money. Uh, you know, like money's such a big one. You know, there's no like end of the ladder for how high you can climb financially. That's what's frustrating about money, right? Like the more you get, the more you will never have enough. The more you earn, the more you'll never have enough. If, that, if that's your heart, is just pursuing satisfaction and delight in money, you'll never have enough. But as you're transformed and made to look more like Christ to, to, to pursue the things that he's pursuing, what you're pursuing is something that's eternal and significant and, and, and unexplorable in all of its riches. That's God. That's awesome. And so I just have noticed that as I'm sanctified, I just be, I'm more satisfied in him and I'm less concerned with what's going on in the world around me. Right? Right? So we pursue sanctification uh, because it's what the Bible calls real and authentic saving faith. We pursue it because it's what most glorifies God. And we pursue it because it's going to be best for us. Okay, so those are the, those are the um, why. Why do this? Um, now let's kind of pivot into the how. I was really seeking the Lord going, okay, what are, what are kind of the big ticket things here in order... Like, how do I communicate? How do I, what are the points that we get across in, in cultivating this lifestyle that, that leads to us growing? Because again, sanctification, it's this, it's this grace driven, grace empowered um, growth that happens in our life. And, and I really do think it's about putting yourself in the right context. So, as I was praying, I felt like God gave me three big areas. And there are these three big arenas in your life that we all have. And we all have actually a lot of uh, discretion. We have a lot of freedom to operate in these three arenas. And, and so the first one is this, the first one's time. The first one's time. If you want to get serious about pursuing sanctification, then you have to prioritize and order your time correctly. And in that, I think there's a few big things. Um, you, you have to first, you have to prioritize the Sunday morning gathering. You have to prioritize. You got to make getting to church a big deal in your life. Um, there's this verse in Hebrews that says, "Do not neglect the habit of." Can um, we throw that up? Hebrews, no, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Don't neglect the, Don't neglect the Sunday morning gathering. Here's the deal. Um, We are going to be covering different topics. We're going to be going through different passages. You're hopefully going to be challenged and sharpened in different ways coming to church on a Sunday morning. And and if you are consistently choosing to miss church, if it's not a priority on your calendar, what I I am not saying right now is come to church every Sunday or go to hell. We all clear on that? That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is is the level in which you choose to plug in and commit yourself to a local body of believers and show up with them every week, week in and week out, that that will, to some degree, determine how much you grow. And, and look, I get it. Um, like we live in Colorado. So like the mountains are right there. I understand it. I understand there's lakes all around this place right here. I understand youth sports are not what they used to and Sunday mornings aren't sacred to the culture anymore. I, I get all that. And, and here, I'll just, I'll be really honest. There will be a Sunday this summer where my family goes camping and I miss church. There was, a, there was an audible gasp for service when I said that. It's going to happen. Because again, I'm not, we're not saved by coming to church. You got that? Like we're not making God happier. We're not making him more in love with us just by showing up to church every Sunday. He already loves you all the way. But what you are sacrificing when you don't show up at church is you're sacrificing growth that you could have on your end. You're putting yourself, you're, you're removing yourself from that right context to grow. And so what we will do this, like uh, Katie and I, we, this has been a priority for us for the last 10 years, at least. We have said, no matter what, no matter what the week looks like, if we're in town, we're at church, no matter what, no matter what's going on. If we're in town, we're at church, we're just, we're going and if we're not going to be in town, you know what I'm going to do Monday morning? I'm going to get on the podcast. I'm going to get on YouTube. I'm going to pull our page up, pull the channel up, and I'm going to watch what my family was, was in on that Sunday morning. What did I miss? I'm going to get caught up and I'm going to grab friends and I'm going to talk about it. Man, it's so cool the age that we live in that we can throw out this podcast. You can listen to audio. We're videoing the services now so you can jump on YouTube and you don't have to miss anything. So don't miss anything. If you do, you're, you're sacrificing, you're stunting your growth. So you gotta prioritize a Sunday morning gathering, but I also think it's just as important that in our time, we order it in a way that we prioritize community. So um, I've heard it said this way, that uh, growth happens in circles, not in pews. I think that's a little overstated. I think there is growth that happens in rows here as we're gathering in church, but I do think that there is a, there's a meet, there's a significance of growth that happens when you get around a smaller group of people. All right, so we have groups. John was talking about groups this morning. And there's all kinds of groups going on. You can pull up the group directory and chances are there's a group that you could plug into. But here's what I know. Unless you make the commitment to prioritize community in your calendar, it's not going to just naturally drift onto there. You're not just going to naturally arrive at a point where you go, you know what? All of a sudden, I just got a bunch of nights free in the week and so I might as well get in a small group now. That's never going to be how it goes. Amen? Like, right, for some of you who are in groups, like, you're never just gonna come to a spot where you're just like, man, I've got nothing but free time on my hands. Like, I get it. The calendar's already full. And so the reality is, is if you wanna make community a priority, you might have to drop something else. So like, look, I, I've said to myself before, like, man, you know what though? Monday night, it's like the only night I have for just me. Right, like, it's, it's the only night I have for me. Like, it's the only time I get to just like space out and do nothing, you know what I've realized is that I actually don't need a lot of that time for me to think about me and for me to think about the things that I think about all the time. And, and just for me to perpetuate the lies that I'm telling to myself, what I actually need is I need good friends around me. So you got to prioritize community. Yeah, but Zumba, the only Zumba class I like is on Thursday night. Like go to the gym earlier and get yourself in a group. Like you, you, have to, you have to make the decision before you're already in it that I'm, you know you know what, this semester is going to be the semester. 2020 is going to be the year where I get myself in a group and I just commit to having community in my life. So in time, in this arena, in this sphere, we're, we have to prioritize a Sunday morning gathering. We got to order our time in a way that says I'm getting to church on Sunday. We got to prioritize the time that says I'm going to get around a, a group of people at my church and we're going to plug in we're going to go deeper. Then there's also this um, thing where we gotta just give God our everyday moments. See, because I think we talk often about a quiet time and and hear me, I think a quiet time is one of the best things in your day that you can make time for. Having some time where you just seek the Lord, read the Bible, spend some time in prayer, spend some time in worship, that one-on-one time, that secret place time, you gotta have it. You gotta have that time in your life, absolutely. But I think the mistake that we can fall into is we go, okay, I did my quiet time for the day, check that box, and then you move on and you forget about Jesus for the rest of your day. And so I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts it in Romans 12. Eugene Peterson, author of the Message version of the Bible. um, I'm just gonna read it to you. This is verse one and two of Romans 12. He says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Well, that, what this verse communicates to me is that my life has become so much more of a, it doesn't matter if I'm doing the dishes, doesn't matter if I'm driving, it doesn't matter if I'm in a meeting with a staff member. Like my whole life, I'm interruptible by the Holy Spirit. I'm available for God to speak something to me, for me to be used by him at any moment. And I just present even all the ordinary and dull parts of my life as a sacrifice to him. And I choose to just worship and pray. And I, I spend time with him all throughout the day in those everyday little moments. And so if we can prioritize our time in that way, I think we're putting in one sphere, we're putting ourselves in a context to grow. The next sphere is money. The next arena is money. So, okay, here we go. New pastor, three weeks in, already preaching about money, right? Like, um, yeah, yeah. Like the Bible has almost 2,300 verses on money in it. Um, and so we're gonna talk about money from time to time, right? It's never been our pattern here to shy away from verses that are maybe difficult, and so it's still not gonna be our pattern, okay? Um, and, and I actually just had my first meeting with the trustees, the board of men who oversee um, all and ensure like financial integrity here. So we have a board of guys who helps do that. Um, helps us just keep good uh, integrity in all of our finances here. And I just met with them this morning. And, and what you got to realize is that, uh, that me preaching about money is not coming out of a lack or a defic- deficiency on our end as a church. Like we're actually fiscally very healthy right now. And, and this is just like great thing for me to lay before you. We're, we're also not going to just pass a plate for a special offering at the end of this service today. But the reality is, is that money, it's a huge topic. Biblically, it's a huge topic in all of our lives. It's one of the biggest things we fight about. We're, we're always maybe striving or thinking about how we can earn more. we we worry about it. We stress about it, right? Like money's everywhere, man. If Katie and I are going to blow any part of our budget for a month, it's, it's food. Like I'll just be real about that. Like if we're going to, if we're going to mess up in our personal budget at any point in a month, it's because we ate too much. And, uh, and man, we're making like conscious or subconscious decisions about money all the time to the point where I'm, I'm always like, you know what, okay, Sundays, I could be more diligent. We could, I could eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I actually, like I brought peanut butter and jelly uh, fixings to the church. So they're like in the pantry right over there. And I could have that for lunch right now. But at 1148, almost every Sunday, I get thinking about tacos. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? So we blow the food budget again. We could have tacos for lunch. We'd go to Torchy's. We'd go to, you know, we go almost in. You know, so this reality is like all of us, whether you are consciously doing it or you're subconsciously doing it, we're always thinking about money. And so for us to prioritize and order our finances around God and his kingdom first will be huge in, on our level of growth. Okay, so uh, the building block for this, I believe, is the tithe. It is the tithe. So what the tithe is, is it goes all the way back to the Old Testament, but it's something that the church has practiced for thousands of years where, where uh, members of the church will come and they'll give 10% of their income to the local church for the local church's flourishing, thriving, and, and for the advancement of the kingdom in the community that they're in, okay? And, and so this is something Katie and I have been committed to ever since before we were married, praise God. We have, we have tithes to the local church, to this local church. And, and man, over the years, I can tell you story after story of God's faithfulness that he, is, that he has showed to be our provider in, in big ways, in like shocking ways, but mostly just in a lot of like really small, like continuous ways. You know what I mean? And, and the reality is, is I don't drive a Bentley to the church every day. I drive a 1994 Jeep Grand Cherokee, all right? I heard someone say woo just now, like, well, there's nothing, woo. yeah, all right. So got another Cherokee driver in the congregation apparently. But the reality is, is that the tithe, what it does is, is monthly or weekly, however often you do it, it is this reminder that God, you are the Lord of my finances and I trust you as my provider. And what it does, it creates this building block in my life where I get to come before him and I get to lay my finance, finances towards him and I get to say, okay, um, I'm trusting you that you will provide and you'll take care of me in my 90% of my income better than I could with my whole hundred, right? And... and, and the reality is that's difficult for some people to grasp. And maybe part of the reasons is because you're, you're strapped by debt and stuff. And you need to get into that financial peace class. If you've never taken it, and if, if debt is just like killing you right now, you got to take that class. It'll put some principles in your life that, that will help change the way you order your money. That's just a little plug for that. But, but here's, here's the hard reality about the tithe. Um, God is not actually just wanting to lord over 10% of your income. He actually wants to lord over your entire checkbook, right? So, so if we're going to sit here and we're going to say that, God, you are the Lord of my life, then we have to acknowledge that includes being lord over my finances as well. And so what tithing does is it kind of puts this, this uh, continuous sanctification where I'm just continually being reminded and trusting God with my finances to prepare me ultimately for... Um, for like a moment where God would call me to give sacrificially or for me to give in a way that I would, the world thinks I'm crazy. My, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, why are you, you're doing what you're giving what? Because, because um, what God is after in your finances is not just total submission to him. Let me explain this real quick. I, that's part of it for sure. God, you're Lord of my life. That means you're lording over my finances. I'm going to submit to that. But I think actually what God is wanting to do with all of our money is he's wanting to sanctify us. Remember, sanctification is being made more and more and more like him. One of the things, one of the marking characteristics of our God is he is an absolutely radically generous God. Like you just think about in Genesis, what he poured out in creation Like he didn't have to give us beautiful sunrises, beautiful sunsets. He didn't have to put us in a world filled with all this stunning beauty, but he's generous. He's poured out so much for us for our enjoyment here on this earth, right? Not only is he generous in the way that he created everything, he's generous on the cross. He poured out everything, even to the end of his life, he poured out for us. I love Malachi 3.10 says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Our God is generous. He's a radically generous God. This is the only thing that he says, hey, try it. Just try it. Test me on this. Just check it out. Just, just put this as a priority in your life and just see what I'll do, right? And again, not driving a Bentley, driving a Jeep Cherokee, but what he's done over time is he's just continually formed my heart um, in a way that uh, I'll, I'll just I'll speak for me right now. I won't speak for all of you, okay? Personally, not just naturally wired to think selflessly with my money. I'll just be honest, all right? I get, it, I, I get money and I think, okay, I could use a new pair of shoes even though I don't need a new pair of shoes. Like, like a lot of things in my heart with money want to spend on myself, my family first. What God is wanting to cultivate in all of us is a heart that is generous to the kingdom because money is just a tool in the kingdom. It's not good. It's not bad. It's simply a tool. What, what we do with it makes it good or bad. If we fall in love with it and if it has power and if it owns our heart, then it is evil. But, but if we use it and we steward it in a way that says, okay, God, what do you want to do with these resources that you've given to me? Now we're using it as a tool to bring heaven to earth, Right? So we need to be sanctified in a way that we look more and more like Christ in our finances so that we can operate in a way that's less focused and bent selfishly, but is more bent towards a lifestyle of generosity. So you have prioritizing your time, prioritizing your finances in a way that puts you in the right context so that you may grow. The last one is I think you have to, um, you have to prioritize relationships. You have a lot of wiggle room in your relationships, in some ways, you're stuck with the people you got, right, like you're stuck with the people you work with, you're stuck with the people that, that you have in your classroom, you're stuck with your family, right? Come on, somebody out there, like you're like, all right, I'm just, no, we're, we're just doing this together, right, um, but, but we also have a lot of discretion with what, with what relationships we run with, what, who, what kind of people we go with in life. And, and so I think there's, there's three big kinds of relationships that everyone needs in their life. And the first one is you need somebody that you're completely honest with. You have to be totally honest with somebody. With everybody? No, with somebody. All right? I'm not asking that you would just stand up here and shout out your biggest, deepest, darkest sins. Okay? That's, that's not what this is about this morning. Everyone can just relax. Okay? Um, but you do have to find somebody that you're totally honest with. I heard a pastor put it like this. If, you, uh, if you're 99% known in your closest relationships but you hold back behind here 1%, you hold this secret back here, this 1% that you're not willing to divulge or confess to anybody, then what happens is in this relationship where you're 99% known, they'll give you a compliment. They'll say something about how much they love you, how much they care for you. And because you have this 1% that you're hiding back here, you can never accept that compliment completely. Because what you convince yourself in your mind is if, oh, but if they knew about this 1%, they would never say that about me. And what happens is you would say, oh my gosh, if they knew about this 1%, they wouldn't wouldn't love me like that. So you have to pursue, you have to find somebody, somebody you trust, somebody that you love, who you know loves you, that you can be totally honest with. This verse in James 5, 16 is always so interesting to me. Um, It says, confess your sins, therefore one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's fascinating Because it doesn't say that you should confess your sins to God and you will be healed. Confess your sins to God and you'll be saved. Confess your sins but one to another and that's where you find healing. I think what James is hitting on is this principle that if you aren't totally known by somebody, then you'll never be able to accept love. You'll never be able to accept compliments or, or anything in a relationship because you'll always have this grenade that you're sitting back here and you say, well, if I ever put this into the relationship, it wouldn't be able to make it. But my experience with my friends that I'm totally open with and who are totally open with me is as soon as we confess something, we lay it down there. Uh, it's not met with this. Oh my gosh, you did what? You, huh? No way. It's met with faithful men who will pray with me, who will see me through to the other side of things, who, who will encourage me, who will, who will, it's usually met with a, oh my gosh, you know, I've been in that too. I've been there too. It's not met with all this shock and oh my, what? No way. It's, Okay, how do we move on from this? How do we grow? You need to find somebody in your life that you're totally honest with because, because God's, um, God's heart for you is not to fight your sin in the dark. He wants to expose them, bring them into the light so that you can fight them in the light. So second one that you need to pursue um, is you have to pursue people who will be honest with you. So the first relationship is people that you can be honest with. The second one is people who will be honest with you. Here's what I mean by this. It's the proverb, better our kisses from a friend, better our kisses... No, I can get this right. Better are wounds from a friend than kisses from an enemy. Right? I was meeting with an older gentleman this week um, who I was just talking about. You know, I just, I need some people who will be, get around me, help me grow. Um, This is not an open invitation right now for all of you to be critical into my life, but just know that I'm the kind of person who I, I have several relationships where I've gone, hey, listen, if you see something that's off, I want you to speak into my life. My experience is you have to invite those relationships in. You can't just expect everyone to speak critically to you all the time. You have to actually seek that person out and you got to say, hey, if, there, if you see something that's off of me, I want you to say it. And you want to you be the kind of friend of somebody who goes, hey, listen, if I see something off in you, I'm going to say it. It's going to be grounded, rooted and grounded in relationship. It's going to be rooted and grounded in love. But just so you know, I don't even think you understand how you're speaking to that person. I don't even think you understand the harsh tones that are coming out of you when you're talking that way. Do you realize that you're doing this? I'm not, it's, you gotta be, we gotta be faithful to show each other our blind spots here, right? And so I was sitting down with this older guy and he looked at me and he's like, listen, Austin, I'm not gonna blow smoke up your butt. And I was like, you know what? I don't need anybody to blow smoke up my butt. Like, that's weird. I don't want that, right? Like, tell me the truth. And I think you gotta seek this kind of relationship out. You gotta invite it in from other people to go, hey, listen, I know I got blind spots every single person in this room, you have a blind spot. It's like that moment when you come home from dinner and you have that huge green thing in your teeth, right? And you look in the mirror and you're like, "Hun, babe, like how long has this been here? You were going to tell me about this? Like what? We were at the restaurant four hours ago. Like, are you kidding me? We've all had that moment, right? You need good friends to go, hey, you got something gross in your teeth. We got to work on this. We got to get past this. We can grow, right? So those are the first two, someone you can be honest with, someone who can be honest with you. The last one that you need is you need someone that inspires you in the faith. Uh, chances are there's somebody, maybe they're even in this room that you just look at and you're like, man, why do they, how do they pray like that? How, how do, how, I just don't understand, they always talk about how they're just reading the Bible and every time I try to come to the Bible, it's just so dry for me. Like, how do I, how do I get this just like vibrancy towards scripture that they have? And the way they treat people, right? Like you just look at somebody and you're like, man, the way that they love people, like, I just don't. I don't. I tend to be so much more critical than that. How do I just have such a posture of, of humility and, and like acceptance towards people? So you got to find somebody. You got to get yourself around people who inspire you because I absolutely believe that faith is contagious. Man, you just get around those people and you just, you know, it's really easy is just to see somebody who worships in a way that you want to worship or prays in a way you want to pray and you go, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Is that easy? Hey, can we get a meal together sometime? And so. Again, why why would we put ourselves out there in these vulnerable relationships? Why would we put our money in this way? Why would we do this with our finances? Why would we do this with our time? Because being sanctified, growing in our faith is something that we're called to in our faith. It's something that most glorifies God when we look most like him. And then ultimately it's going to make our lives better. Not necessarily because we're going to be given all this stuff, but because we're going to look more like him. We're going to desire more like him. And, And... so here, I'm out of time already, but here's what we're going to do for the next couple minutes. I'm going to tell you about groups because John told you about groups. Every semester seems like we're talking about groups like, oh my gosh, will they not just like leave me alone about getting in a group? The answer is no. We're not going to leave you alone about getting in a group because we believe that every, we want to be a church of small groups, not just a church with a couple small groups that you've maybe heard about, or maybe you haven't. We want to be a church where everyone's in a small group. Why? because we want to take seriously this growth that we should all be committed to. And so look the reality is right now we have we have we have a bunch of groups. We have over like 20 some groups about 70% of our of our 300ish person church is in a small group right now. Praise God. That's an awesome number. It should be 100. It should be 100. And one of the obstacles right now that's keeping us from getting there is we don't have enough small group leaders. And so like, I I get it, okay, being a small group leader, it's intimidating. You're like, what if I'm not the smartest in the room? What if they know more more about the Bible than I do? What if, what if, what if, what if? Uh, The reality is here's all it takes to be a small group leader. You gotta be willing to open up your home or meet somebody somewhere to talk about Jesus. That's basically it. People are like, oh my gosh, all these rules with small groups, I don't know if I can keep up with all of it. We ask small groups to do four things, four things. We ask that you would encourage one another, that you care for one another in a way that pushes people on in their faith. That you would read scripture when you gather together, <laughs> like just include the Bible in some way. That's not hard, right? Uh, that you would pray, like we should pray together. We should pray with one another, and, and that you would point people towards the next steps that they can take in their faith. ESPN encouragement, scripture, prayer, next steps. Da-na-na, da-na-na. Right, like it's, we try to make it as easy as possible to remember. Okay, and so and so. Make this the year where you get in a commu- get in community, pursue, pursue these relationships. So we're not going to end with a song like we usually do. I'm going to pray. We're going to dismiss, like grab somebody and just be like, Hey, are you, are you in a group? We have, we, we have men's groups, women's groups, like th- this time at the men's retreat would be a great time to just meet some guys that you can get in a group with. Okay. And so let's, I just, I so desperately, this has been a mature body of believers for years under Kent's leadership. I just only want to see us press in, go, go a little bit deeper in our sanctification, that we'd pursue him just a little bit, all that much more in this next season of our church. Amen? So let's stand and let's pray. Jesus, we uh, we know this is not going to happen on our own effort. And I pray against right now the spirit of performance, the spirit of of have to or must, God, that we have to just like drum this up on our own effort, God. But I just pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us, that we would um, just be sustained and driven by your work that's happening in our heart. God, I pray that you would just come and whatever parts of this message today, whatever maybe... Uh, our natural reaction was to be flared up a little bit, to be like, hey, why is he talking about that? I pray that you would just, um, would you press us farther into you, into your words that we can see what you truly say, God. It's not about any points that I'm trying to make this morning or, or points that I'm trying to convey in a human way, God, but it's just spiritual truth being opened up so that we may receive it, move on and grow. God, would we look more like you so that we can wreak havoc on the kingdom of darkness? That's what this is about. We just, we wanna be transformed by you, used by you in this world we live in. We trust you, we love you, we lay our lives down and ask for your kingdom to come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.